Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. This morning our theme is building on the previous uh, aspects of this series of love and what love is. Uh, This morning we're looking at love is courageous. And why are we looking at so much about the nature of what love is? It's because God is defined in Scripture as love. So we just don't spend enough time reflecting on the perspective of love in all these different areas. And so this series is giving us a very powerful opportunity to do so. And if you've missed any of the the previous messages, you can either watch on Facebook Live or listen on the podcast, and I'm sure they will bless you. So, So go back and look at them. This morning, love is courageous. Now, it's a very big topic this. Um, The way love works with courage um, starts at a very kind of basic entry level of relationship and goes right into the depths of the the, the incredible love of God and what that means. And we'll try and touch some of those points. But if you reflect for a moment, the first time uh, you went on a date, can anyone remember that far back? One or two of you, Uh, not many of you, some of you. Has anyone not been on a date yet? We'll pray for you later, but um, um, no, going, uh, you know, what's it like when you, you know, maybe you've, you ended up marrying the person you went on that date with, but what was it like, guys, when you, you glanced across the room and you, you noticed that beauty somewhere <laughs> in the room or somewhere where you happen to be, and you thought, oh, like her, and what about you ladies, you glanced across and saw some fine young man and thought, hmm, right kind of material, um, who knows? I don't know how people process these things. I know how it happened for me. I'm on safe ground in that space. Um, But I I know that uh, when Liz, my wife, my wife now, obviously must have got something right, um, were, you know, just friends uh, from a distance. I remember the nerves I had when I thought, you know, I'd like to be a little bit of a better friend. And the whole kind of idea of connecting and kind of crossing that bridge of the unknown (laughs) and going into that first kind of, Shall we go out on a date kind of thing? That's a quite a big deal, you know, for, a, I know for me it was anyway. I, I was quite nervous and, you know, I'm thinking, how can I best do this without saying all the wrong things? And so it took a bit of courage just to pick the phone up. In those days, there was no mobile phone. There was no uh, Twitter opportunity. There's no social media. You couldn't just kind of do it the, the easy way. You had to literally either do it face to face or pick up the phone. Hey, Liz, are you free on a given set? Yeah, yeah, I'm free, yeah. How about you cook dinner? <laughs> <laughs> get, get the priorities right um, I said look you cook the main course I'll bring the pudding so, um, but in a way just to bridge that little gap it's, it's a courageous little step because you don't want to look a fool you don't want to mess up a friendship but equally you know, there's something serious there that could become serious and then you know, other aspects of relationship you, know, you, you may start dating you may then think hey, this might be the one this might be the one maybe you know, and then it's that courage. Do I, do I step into proposing? And then the, the thought of a whole life with a person, that's, that takes courage. These days, relationships seem to be disposable. People change and chop around. And, um, you know, would it work? What if? What about the things I don't know? What about all these problems that could come? And, you know, and, and there are challenges and pressures in life. I'm not making it a bed of roses. But so all these things, they take a bit of courage to step into. And I was thinking also, you know, what about children? You know, if you, God blesses and you can have children, the courage to go through it. And ladies, 
not worthy. You know, eye-watering stuff, let me say. And, and, you know, and yet you've got the courage to say, yes, I will I'll go there and consider having kids and, and by God's grace, eventually having them. Um, I saw, was talking to my daughter during the week. Apparently, Piers Morgan wired himself up. He felt he had all the courage in the world and he would, he would take on you know, the pain machine that tells you what it's like having a baby. He didn't quite survive that, but apparently he did. It's online. Um, I'm not so sure he's that courageous, but, um, but it's amazing, isn't it? The amount of courage that has to come into things to do with relationship and love. It's odd that love requires courage in a strange way. You think love should be just easy. It should be just something easy. Surely love is just that easy, fluffy thing that you float into and it's blissful and it's, it just seems to be natural. But actually, love has got quite a lot of tension attached to it when it comes to relationships. And courage is a, an important part of the thinking process. Uh, and why is that? It's because there's fear uh, on the flip side of courage and in the topic of, of love. There is fear that comes in, into play because there, there is a, another side of our spiritual lives. And, and fear is trying to set itself up to destroy something. Not just you, but actually the whole nature of love. And God addresses that in Scripture because his love takes on the reality of what fear can do in people's lives. And it takes great courage. And of course, this week, at a much bigger level, when you love your nation or you love your family or you love the... You know, there's another dimension. What if you're at war? And this week we celebrated 75... Say celebrated. We remembered 75 years of the D-Day landings and... Uh, you know, some of you, many of you will have seen that on TV, I'm sure. Uh, and I was kind of gripped by a few of the, the, the storylines in there. Um, 75 years is not that long ago to see the mobilization of that many people into conflict. Uh, and yet, um, that's a different kind of courage. But what drives people to take that responsibility on? Um, there has to be a love for something in there. Love for country, the king and queen, and, you know, king in that case. But... Um, our families, the right for freedom. There's a more profound dynamic going on. And there was one guy that I heard in particular, and a 20-year-old man in one of these landing craft came in, and you know, they're flat-bottomed and choppy waters, and people were ill on the, on the landing craft, the smell of vomit in the air. And in that difficult place, resolved in his own heart, his own mind, that he would pay the ultimate price. And how do you get to a place where you're 20 and you may not live to 21 and you decide whatever it takes, the courage that has to be demonstrated, uh, it needs to be brought in now. Uh, and there would have been a fearful time and you know, not, not, not a great time. But courage is the mental or moral strength to persevere and withstand danger, fear or difficulty. So courage, confidence, Fear. They're all mixed up in this, what is love? What is love all about? And this guy said, I decided that I was fully committed to make the ultimate sacrifice. I remember I said that to a friend of mine, you know, when I was um, at school, when I was 17, I, I used the, that, that, that similar expression. And it actually led someone to make a decision for Christ because he realized he had nothing to live for. There was nothing worth dying for in his life. And, and that conversation is such an absolute conversation. Anyway, so moving on. So where do love and fear come from? 
we sometimes just accept these two dynamics. We just think, well, you know, love, we know what it's like not to be in love. We know what it's like to be in love. But, but the nature of God's love and where, where does it come from? And, uh, and what is love about? Why does fear attach itself so, so often to the conversation of love? Well, in 1 John 4, 16 and 17, it starts to ex- open this up. So verse 16 says, God is love. So that just nails it. God is love. That's why we're looking at this series. God is love. And all who live in uh, love live in God. That's interesting because that creates a dilemma for us, doesn't it? Because we see people who behave in a loving way. Does that mean they live in God? Do they really know God? Are they really loving? There's a, there's a different dynamic going on when it comes to absolute love and who God is. God is love and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. Okay, so he's, there's a benchmark here of what love is really about this is the love that God has created and verse 17 and as we live in God our love grows more perfect so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world now it's starting to open up a little bit and it says as we live in God our love grows more perfect well that expression is used again in a in a moment later on in the text. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So what do we pick out from this? Love grows. Love grows. It it grows. And you think, well, okay, it it grows. But love does grow, but it grows more perfect. So what's imperfect love look like? Okay, now let's unpack that a minute. Imperfect love can be far more self-centered. It's self-driven. But perfect love is an authentic, mature relationship with God himself. So perfect love means that I'm much more in a living experience with God himself. Is that possible? We know in the scriptures it is possible because we can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We put our faith in him. But we can have a real, real love, a perfect love. But it's a bit further than that. And as I looked into this and looked at commentaries on it and, and looked at what people were thinking through this piece of text... I think there's more to perfect love than that. I think perfect love is love that is seen by other people. And so when they see us, they see God himself shining through us. So it's not just us having some perception or closeness with with God, but it's actually what do other people see in us? Perfect love is, is a love that not only is in that personal place with God, but it's in a place where actually when other people look at you and they experience who you are, they experience God's love through you. Because that's the nature of God's love. It's designed to be like that. And how many of us are in that place where we're really happy that actually who we are really does characterize God's love fully? And the truth is we're a long way short. We are a long way off it. Actually, we, we are very distorted because of our, the way we think, the way we behave, the way we presume, the way we define, the way we are judgmental about other people. We are a long way off that kind of perfection. And yet God says we will grow into that. So there's something in there for all of us. So we will not be afraid uh, on the day of judgment. So in an absolute end times perspective, God's love that is growing in us and being perfected actually is strong enough to help us to see eternity with him. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus Christ here on earth. So it flips it back. Life on earth. Because we live like Jesus Christ on earth. 
So God, God is, keeps pushing it back down to what is going on now. Not what might I become if, if this thing is sorted out, if this other problem gets sorted out in my life, if, if I get this bit sorted, God, then I will live fully for you. That's not what that says. It's, it's the now present reality of our living life representing Christ and knowing God. It grows. It's active. It doesn't mean that we don't mess up where love is concerned. It just says that we are, we are maturing in it. We're starting to understand that everything counts. Everything counts. And it takes us to a place of eternity. But what about today? What about the everyday um, love and uncertainty and confidence and fear? Well, 1 John four eighteen says this, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what? Punishment. For fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Right, now, it says all fear in the text. Verse 8, such love, that working, living, authentic, perfecting relationship with God that allows other people to see God himself, that love expels all fear. And that's the point. Because in life, you will encounter times of great fear. You will encounter times where you are under huge pressure. And your love for God will be the thing that gets you through those times of great fear. Expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what? Punishment. And punishment, you may think, well, I'm an adult. I'm not punished. Oh, yes, you are. You are punished by someone or something. And if you allow that perception of punishment to define your walk and your journey, the penalty attached to punishment becomes something that builds fear into your life. And actually, there is a very real risk for adults and young people alike that there is a punishment attached to behavior. Whether it's a spouse, believe it or not, whether it's a work colleague, a boss, whether it's someone you've known from years back, whether it's that emotional, psychological pressure that people will put you under, that's punishment. And I'm telling you this, people can manipulate other people by creating psychological pressure on them. That is punishment. People are very, very good at working out how to punish others if they don't get what they want. And so adults, you are exposed to people's manipulative punishment from time to time. And if you allow that to go on, you'll start to come under fear around that person. Have you ever had a situation where if one person phones you, if that person emails you, an alarm bell goes off. Have you ever had that? You're all chuckling and nodding. You know exactly what I mean. If that one person drops you an email or leaves you a message, you actually don't want to speak to them. You don't want to call them because attached to that person is something where punishment is connected. It's a real reality. This is reality. And, And so punishment makes you a slave because you actually change the way you behave because of what that person or that thing is doing. So punishment is linked to someone or something. Now, you may irrationally think of, um, of, of certain things, but on a rational basis, you may think, well, the economy's in, in a difficult spot right now, and there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of change, a lot of, you know, what could be tomorrow. Well, that can start to produce fear in your heart. For sure it can. Because the more you dwell on that, the more that becomes a master of your future. It's something that is demanding something of you, and it's happening in your head. And it may not be a reality, or it, it, but it may be something to be concerned about. But someone or something 
could be influencing you to a point where fear is absolutely coming in. And that fear coming in makes you a slave. And the Bible warns us about it. And this is why love is so important, because God's incredible plan is that we should not be slaves to fear. And how does he solve the fear problem? It's his love that does it. You'd think there must be some other, you know, kill fear button or something. (laughs) Or, you know, some sort of spiritual weapon that kills fear. It's actually not a weapon at all. It's, It's a relationship with God himself that destroys fear. Do you realize that? And so many people are wrapped up with things, penalty and punishment perceptions in their life around people and situations. Or even, you may even be of the mind that God will hold this against me, that God will punish me. That's not what God is talking about. God is talking about drawing you into a relationship so you understand who he is. And in that understanding, you'll realize that God is a whole lot bigger than these other things that are wanting to punish you, or so you think. So be strong, it says in Psalm 31, verse 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Now, if you were here last week, you would have heard Deborah speak very, very well. On, on, a, on a key topic around love. And she talked about how the mind and the heart have different functions. And in Scripture, you can unpack it. That the mind tends to be the conscious, responsive, reactive, emotional side of our life that processes, now what do I do? I've got to deal with this situation. What do I do? Whereas the heart in Scripture talks about a much deeper, subconscious, more profound belief center where we are rooted into something. And that's why when in Scripture it says the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, it's a reality because actually what's going on in your heart is so often hidden from other people. They can't see it. God can see it and it's going on in there, but it's only at certain times you start to see it because of the way people talk and what they talk about. Um, But that's subconscious. But it says here, love must be in our hearts. Be strong and let your heart take courage all who wait for the Lord. You see, there are, if we are working on processing problems through our, just our minds, there's, 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 it's, God wants courage to be in our hearts. And that's a key thing. So um, Nelson Mandela once said this, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. So the reality is we are dealing with pressures and fears, fears, uncertainties, doubts. In relationships right now, there may be someone in this room. In your marriage, lots of pressure. There will be times of pressure. But if it becomes repetitive and it feels like there's, a, there's difficulties in any sort of relationship, it can start to overwhelm you. And you may have fear in your marriage or for your marriage. It may be fear with relationship or for friends. Um, but God provides us with a route through, and it's his love. So what damages um, do fear cause? I've decided to flip into a very well-known piece of scripture, um, David and Goliath, because it's a very simple illustration of the nature of the way fear causes problems and, and how actually a relationship with God can unpack the power of fear. So 1 Samuel 17, 32 to 33, um, is an account... Uh, a conversation between David, a teenage shepherd boy, and Saul, the king. So Saul is the God-ordained, appointed man who has got the army at his command and who is in fear. His heart is full of fear. And you've got David, this shepherd boy, who hasn't really 
he's not coming from that same perspective. I was about to say, who has no fear. The reality is the psalm we just read was a psalm from David. So he does understand fear. But what David has done is he's processed fear in his life and overcome fear with the love of God. So verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. So the enemy had brought out their champion warrior, a Goliath. He's, he's uh, nearly 10 foot tall, a big man, and he's challenging the whole Israelite army to a, a one-on-one combat. And they're all terrified by this one man. And, and David says, so let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. The servant being David. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. You can see the process, can't you, that's going on immediately. The king, rooted with fear in his heart, immediately sees the scenario as a problem. Your age is a problem. Your experience is a problem. Your stature is a problem. You're an unknown entity. You may think you can do it, but I know better. And you see, what happens with fear, no matter who you are, you could be the Queen of England, you could be the Prime Minister, you could be the boss of the company. It doesn't matter how high-ranking you are. In fact, the higher you get, the more risk there is, in fact. Um, Fear creates inertia. If fear starts to get rooted into you, you will stop and do nothing. You'll stop and you'll put your heels in because you don't know what to do. That's what was going on here. The whole army was stuck because of this, this... Goliath character bringing fear into them. It will create a wrong focus because you'll assume that the focus is to take that problem out of the way and and there's a defined way of doing it. In fact, you don't know the answer. You're just guessing and you'll snatch your ideas. Wrong focus, wrong direction. You, You could end up doing nothing or you could move into a direction that's completely wrong. You know, I'm thinking of Abraham and and his journey of faith you know, and Ishmael became a consequence of a wrong direction because he feared that they were getting so old that God would never fulfill his promise. So went ahead and got the wrong answer, all based on wrong decisions. So fear is not only got the ability to put you at risk with God, but change your direction, stop you doing things, cause your decision-making to be undermined. And we're adults. This is the king. It can happen to any one of us. And all parts of our life can be affected. In comes David. And what does David do? 1 Samuel 17, 36 to 37. He recounts what God has done for him. He comes out of relationship with God himself. The scriptures tell us in Acts, you can read, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. See, he had a close relationship with God. And in that close relationship, God had exposed him to areas of pressure. The lion and the bear. And so David immediately reflects on his journey with God himself, his relationship with God. And he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. He's defied the one I love. He's messing with, in our language, my dad. He's messing with what I know. This guy, this this uncircumcised has no understanding of the magnitude and the power of my God. That's what he's saying. But Saul, the king appointed by God, had no concept. Goliath was infinitely bigger than God. Do you see that? Fear had caused Goliath to be of bigger stature than God himself. 
And so he couldn't see the way God could see. And David is so straightforward. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me. So my relationship with God has proved that God has got me through the difficult stuff. The Lord who rescued me from the poor of the lion and the poor of the bear will rescue me now from the hand of this Philistine. There's no room for fear in David's life. Love is courageous. Love expels fear. Now, was he cautious? I'm sure he's pretty cautious. But he had something in him. He had confidence in him. He had a degree of conviction in him. And he had very little else to go with. He had a little sling and he had a bag of stones. And what did he use? One stone. One stone. He had the right decision, the right direction, and he defeated the giant with a single stone. Us adults, we make life so complicated. We want to solve it this way. We want to solve it that way. We want to write a whole list of things to solve a problem. Actually, God can help you solve problems with one stone. Right? The more complicated you and I make stuff, the more likelihood is that God's not in it. Why do I say that? Because if your relationship with God is really strong, then there'll be a one stone, one shot, giant killing blow that will solve the problem. That's it. And that problem's there to come under the authority of God. God wants that problem under his authority as much as you do. But we go around figuring out all sorts of complicated answers to complicated questions and make it complicated. And God's got to show up in this way. God, you've got to do that for me. God, this has got to happen. God, you know, praying and fasting about things that, hang on a second, how close are you really to God? Well, if you're fasting, you're probably pretty close. But there is a one-shot answer to some of these big fear questions, and God can provide it. It's exciting. It's exciting what God can do. This is a picture example of Goliath to David. What is so amazing is that little boy also wrote Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Interesting, when I'm afraid, I shall not be afraid. In, in, within two sentences, more or less, within one verse, when I'm afraid, I will not be afraid. Do you get it? He was, his relationship with God was so strong, when I'm afraid, I will not be afraid. He didn't allow that huge cavern, that gap of fear to produce a giant in his life. And so when he saw the guy who was almost twice his height, and he was three meters tall or thereabouts, Goliath, and probably a meter odd and a half wide or something. But um, God gave David all the confidence he needed. One shot victory over the giant. The place of fear. God will defeat your giants. Who through? Through you. Isn't that amazing? God's got a provision to overcome those areas of fear in your life. And he's willing to do it through you and make it simple and get it to the point. But we make life too complicated. Isn't it amazing what God has provided? Now, anyone ever heard of Alex Honnold? Alex is a, um, a guy who's a climber from the States, and I have no understanding of his spiritual position at all. All I know is he is probably the number one solo free, uh, free solo climber in the world. Um, he is an extraordinary climber, and if there's anyone needing courage, it's this guy. I don't know if you can see to the right of the image, down below, around 3,000 feet below where he is currently standing on a rock face of granite with his fingertips holding on to something the size of a pencil. 
um, is, the, is the bottom of Yosemite National Park in, in the States. And he's climbing El Capitan. He's the first person in history to, to climb El Capitan, this granite 3,000-foot wall. And he, can you imagine getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning and going up that and calling that fun? <laughs> um, just the thought of it is making my hands <laughs> sweat. I, don't, I mean, I've, if you want to see, he's, he did a TED Talk as well. You can see it on there. But, you know, when they video him, you can hear the wind <laughs> blowing past. I can't even stand on the edge of this stage without... Now, I've got a healthy respect for heights. Let's just call it that. And um, see, it's, look at this. It's glistening. Just the thought of being that high up and the wind blowing through. And all he's got is his shoes and his fingertips and a bag of chalk. That's it. How does someone climb 3,000 feet up a granite face with confidence? Is he crazy? Maybe. But he's definitely got a skill that many of us don't have. Um, look at that. So they look like slippers, don't <laughs> but, um, but what I did draw from this is that he saw the importance of preparation. He didn't just turn up in the morning. He watched that mountain for 10 years. He's only 31, but he didn't take anything for granted. He wanted to understand it. He wanted to be intimately involved with it. He's climbed that thing more than 50 times with ropes. He knows all the routes up the side of that mountain. He knows which way to go. He's visualized and memorized pretty much every path up that mountain. But the risk to take the ropes off and go up free solo is, is a big step. And no one had ever done it before he did it. He did it about 18 months ago, a couple of years ago. And he did it because he got intimately involved in what the challenge was. And it almost parallels the importance of love and relationships. When you get intimately aware of what relationships are all about, it helps you to understand. And here, another climber, in advance of this, they climbed the first 1,500 feet with an empty backpack with ropes. And why do they do that? Because they cleaned out all the little crevices and took out all the little loose stones and all the little bits of moss and the bit of, bits of stuff that could cause him to slip. And they they took it out. Rather than chucking it, they put it in the backpack. So they climbed 1,500 feet up to take away the obstacles. They prepared well. And how could David beat Goliath? Because he was well prepared with the lion and the bear. He'd been through a process of cleaning out the stuff in his life that could create risk. He had relationship and God had revealed to him what love is all about. Love, you see, gives you way more than just a feeling of, I know God, I go to church. It was this intimate working understanding of how God does stuff. So how does God, God's love produce courage in us now? It's, today is Pentecost Sunday. We're celebrating God's gift and birth of the church with the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Ephesians 1, 19 and verses 21 to 22 give us a little insight about God's plan for us in relationship. Verse 19 says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. That, by the way, only comes through real relationship. It doesn't come through just reading and thinking about it, but it comes through walking that journey in relationship. Verse 22, he is far, he being Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Okay, so understanding God's great power is linked to, linking, linked to us understanding his authority 
the, the authority of Christ. Okay, so God's power, His authority. Then verse 22, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Everything. Everything that can create fear in your life, He's put under the authority of Christ. He's put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Him head over all things, not for Himself, but for the benefit of the church. For us. For us sitting here today, God has done all that, given Christ. Now, there's a whole sophisticated theological other side of this. But the reality is that, that God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of you and me so that we can understand that authority. Because as we get to know God, as we love him, and as we walk with him, and as we do life with him, we realize that the authority of Christ becomes authority that we can take on. And we get to access his authority in everyday life. We get to access it. Our authority in Christ is to benefit the church. So our weakness is our lack of relationship and our lack of understanding of our understanding of the authority of Christ himself. That actually God has put into you an opportunity to understand his authority. Romans 8, 14 to 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Some versions it says are sons of God. Verse 15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. David knew him like that. David knew him as father. And he knew Goliath was no match for his dad. He knew it. He knew it. And we need to understand it as well. We have received God's Spirit when He adopted us. We're in His family. There is no place for fear in our lives. We may have times when we have fearful moments and there are, you know, suddenly, oh, how am I going to get through? But the truth is God has given us the ability to overcome fear and to get rid of the slavery that gets attached to it. Fear steals your God-given power. That's amazing. Adoption gives you back authority in and through Christ. You know, a friend of mine in South Africa, I was preaching at Johannesburg a few years ago, and I stayed at their house, a lovely retired couple. And this guy would get up at nighttime at 2 a.m. in the morning, and he'd go and pray for an hour, maybe an hour and a half, sometimes two hours. And he'd just pray, and he called it his prayer tower. It was amazing. And he said, do you want to come and join me? And I only just arrived. I said, look, give me a couple of days to get in. Um, but I was preaching at... Um, a few places around there. And he and his wife supported me from a relationship perspective. It was amazing. And I stayed at their home. And then as we got to know each other, he told me about this moment where they were, he was under threat. He lived on a compound. Um, and it was a gated compound. This guy was a retired lawyer. Um, worked in the court circuits. Beautiful Christian man. Older man. And he and his wife were coming back from shopping one day. And they drove their car into the drive unloaded some shopping. He was holding his car keys and two guys jumped out from the bushes. How they got into the compound, we don't know. Carrying guns and just demanded um, the car off him and demanded other stuff. And they grabbed the car keys and this guy standing there, vulnerable, you know, you'd imagine, oh wow, fear would kick in. Uncertainty. You know, what's what's he going to do? At that moment, his relationship with God kicked in straight away and he said, in the name of Jesus, stop. Those guys dropped the car keys and legged it, and they were both carrying handguns. How does that become the reaction of somebody? It comes out of a working relationship that when you need something 
happening when you need God's involvement, you just call him now. You get him involved now. That was the default. Abba Father, he knew. That's what made me remember this guy. He was so close to God. His relationship was so close. He just said, God, I need you now. In the moment, God steps in. That comes. He didn't try and reason with these guys. He just trusted God. The greatest gifts you can give your children are the roots of responsibility and the wings of independence. An author, Dennis Waitley, wrote this. Interesting, isn't it? The greatest gift you can give your children are the roots of responsibility and wings of independence. That's what God's done to us. He's given us the, the ability to understand authority in Christ, to love him and know that you can overcome everything in his love. And because we have the authority of Christ in our life, we can become people who just get on with doing kingdom business. It means that we don't get knotted up by fears and uncertainties, but we can step into every situation with courage and see fear go. And you can do it. And if you're in a situation right now where there's fear in your life and there's uncertainty and, you're, and it's getting to the point where it's actually affecting the way you think, it's slowing you down, changing your direction, giving, creating anxiety in your world, that's not come from God. That's, that's slavery. You could almost call it modern-day slavery. That's slavery. And, and it can happen to anybody. You could be the chairman of the board and be a slave to fear. You can be an ordinary person without a job in slavery to fear. You can be in anywhere in between that. Man, woman, child, adult, enslaved. The only way out of that is to have a strong relationship with God himself. His perfect love casts out all fear. And when we understand that because of Pentecost, that because of God's plan to create the church, he has now given us authority as believers, we can exercise authority. And I've just pulled in some examples of areas in Scripture where we see God's authority delegated to us, given to us to make decisions. It's for each one of us to make decisions, to exercise the authority that God has given to you in your faith in Jesus Christ. And look at this. This is just personally. He says, you can pray to me and I will hear you. You can pray. Matthew 6, 5 to 15. You can be filled with his spirit. He has given you power in his spirit for yourself. But he's also given that power to be used in ministry. You can be transformed. He's given you the ability to be transformed in the way you think. He says, be on guard, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Stand firm in faith, the same verse. Be courageous, the same verse. Be strong, the same verse. In fact, they're just statements. Be strong, full stop. Be courageous, full stop. God has empowered us with authority to stand firm. Because we have an understanding of his word, we can stand firm. We can be courageous. What does courageous mean? It means that in your workplace, the marketplace, when you see something that's wrong, that's unjust, that sets itself up against God, you can say, I'm not standing for that. I can bring the power of God Almighty into this situation. I'm his ambassador. I have his authority. I'm here. I'm his eyes and his hands and his feet. And I will be his mouth. And I will speak out against what I see. And I'll take responsibility for that. He gives us authority in every situation you live, eat, work, and breathe in to stand for himself. Do you realize that? It's incredible. Be strong. He gives you the ability to be strong in every situation and not to fear. 
He gives you the ability to know his love in every situation. And then impacting others. So beyond ourselves being strong, he says, you can be my witnesses. Acts 1.8. You can go and baptize disciples, make disciples, Matthew 28. You can represent Jesus Christ himself, 2 Corinthians 5. You can preach wherever you like about the truth of the word of God and who he is. The world is full of people in fear right now because of slavery to, to other people and other situations. And we've got the ability to bring the word of truth right in to unlock situations. We can preach for, to others. We can pray with others. We can see healing take place for others. We can pray for miracles to happen to others. We can love others unconditionally like Christ loved us. We can, we, he's empowered us. He's given us that authority. Isn't it incredible how much he's given to us to get on with living in his kingdom? And yet, the enemy's plan would be that we get caught up with the giants and we get into a place of fear. And what always happens is one little uncertainty, one tiny little uncertainty that is just a pebble. It's a pebble in your journey of life becomes something you start to focus on. And then that pebble becomes a small stone. And then that small stone becomes a rock. And then it becomes a boulder. Then before not long, that whole thing is a mountain in front of you and you're stuck. You don't know which way to go. You can't go around it. You can't go above it. And what's happened? You focused on the wrong thing. And fear has made you a slave to itself. And that can happen in your relationships, in your careers, in whatever it is that you're working on in life and relating to in life. It can kick in. And God says the antidote for all of that is to look at me. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, don't stay dwelling on those wrong things. Why? Because God doesn't want you to look at what is Keep no record of wrongs. Do you remember that? 1 Corinthians 13, 5, keep no record of wrongs. The, what that actually says, that no record of wrongs means don't keep looking at evil. Why does, that, why does that mean? It means that when we keep looking at what is negative and wrong, we will end up making what is a tiny thing suddenly a massive thing. The more we look at the wrong stuff or stuff that's wrong, the more we will make that something we believe is going to happen. And it becomes out of proportion. And God says, see how very much the Father loves us, for he has called us to be his children. And that is what we are in 1 John 3, verse 1. Worship team, join me. We're going to sing a song right now. Maybe, and I, I have no doubt, people are wrestling with areas of pressure and uncertainty and fear. And we love God first, but sometimes the pressures of the world put things out of perspective and suddenly we find ourselves looking at what should be just a grain of sand has become a whole mountain it shouldn't be there it needs to be removed and God can give you the right answer to remove that place of fear without any pain without any agony just deal with it a good David and Goliath situation and this morning we can believe for that so let's stand as the guys lead us we're going to sing our final song